Chapter 7, The Great Gatsby It was when curiosity about Gatsby was at its highest that the lights in his house fell to go on one Saturday night, and, as obscurely as it had begun, his career as Tremacchio was over. Only gradually did I become aware that the automobiles, which turned expectantly into his drive, stayed for just a minute and then drove sulkily away. Wondering if he were sick, I went over to find out. An unfamiliar butler with a villainous face squinted at me suspiciously from the door. Is Mr. Gadsby sick? Nope. After a pause, he added, Sir, in a dilatory, grudging way. I hadn't seen him around and I was rather worried. Tell him Mr. Carraway came over. Who? He demanded rudely. Carraway. Carraway. All right, I'll tell him. Abruptly, he slammed the door. My Finn informed me that Gatsby had dismissed every servant in his house a week ago and replaced them with half a dozen others who never went into West Egg Village to be bribed by the tradesmen, but ordered moderate supplies over the telephone. The grocery boy reported that the kitchen looked like a pigsty, and the general opinion in the village was that the new people weren't servants at all. Next day, Gatsby called me on the phone. Going away, I inquired. No, old sport. I hear you fired all your servants. I wanted somebody who wouldn't gossip. Daisy comes over quite often, in the afternoons. So the whole Cairnversary had fallen in like a card house at the disapproval in her eyes. They're some people Wolfsheim wanted to do something for. They're all brothers and sisters. They used to run a small hotel. I see. He was calling up at Daisy's request. Would I come to lunch at her house tomorrow? Miss Baker would be there. Half an hour later, Daisy herself telephoned and seemed relieved to find that I was coming. Something was up. And yet I couldn't believe that they would choose this occasion for a scene especially for the rather harrowing scene that Gatsby had outlined in the garden. The next day was brawling, almost the last, certainly the warmest of the summer. As my train emerged from the tunnel into sunlight, only the hot whistles of the National Biscuit Company broke the simmering hush at noon. The straw seats of the car hovered on the edge of combustion. The woman next to me perspired delicately for a while into her white shirtwaist, and then, as her newspaper dampened under her fingers, lapsed despairingly into deep heat with a desolate cry. Her pocketbook slapped to the floor. Oh my, she gasped. I picked it up with a weary bend and handed it back to her, holding it at arm's length and by the extreme tip of the corners to indicate that I had no designs upon it. But everyone nearby, including the woman, suspected me just the same. Hot, said the conductor to familiar faces. Some weather. Hot. 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 Is it hot enough for you? Is it hot? Is it? My commutation ticket came back to me with a dark stain from his hand. That anyone should care in this heat, whose flushed lips he kissed, whose head made damp the pajama pocket over his heart. Through the hall of the Buchanan's house blew a faint wind, carrying the sound of the telephone bell out to Gatsby and me as we waited at the door. 
The master's body, roared the butler into the mouthpiece. I'm sorry, madame, but we can't furnish it. It's far too hot to touch this noon. What he really said was, yes, yes, I'll see. He set down the receiver and came towards us, glistening slightly to take our stiff straw hats. Madame expects you in the salon, he cried, needlessly indicating the direction. And this heat, every gest- every extra gesture, was an affront to the common store of life. The room, shadowed well with awnings, was dark and cool. Daisy and Jordan lay upon an enormous couch like silver idols, weighing down their own white dresses against the singing breeze of the fans. We can't move, they said together. Jordan's fingers powdered white over their tan, rested for a moment in mine. And Mr. Thomas Buchanan, the athlete, I inquired. Simultaneously, I heard his voice, gruff, muffled, husky at the hall telephone. Gatsby stood in the center of the crimson carpet and gazed around with fascinated eyes. Daisy watched him and laughed, her sweet, exciting laugh. A tiny gust of powder rose from her bosom into the air. The rumor is, whispered Jordan, that that's Tom's girl on the telephone. We were silent. The voice in the hall rose high with annoyance. Very well, then. I won't sell you the car at all. I'm under no obligations to you at all. And as for your bothering me about it at lunchtime, I won't stand that at all. Holding down the receiver, said Daisy cynically. No, he's not, I assured her. It's a bona fide deal. I happen to know about it. Tom flung open the door, blocked out its space for a moment with his thick body, and hurried into the room. Mr. Gatsby, he put out his broad, flat hand with well-concealed dislike. I'm glad to see you, sir. Nick? Make us a cold drink, cried Daisy. As he left the room again, she got up and went over to Gatsby and pulled his face down, kissing him on the mouth. You know I love you, she murmured. You forget there's a lady present, said Jordan. Daisy looked around doubtfully. You kiss Nick, too. What a low, vulgar girl. I don't care, cried Daisy, and began to clog on the brick fireplace. Then she remembered the heat and sat down guiltily on the couch, just as a freshly laundered nurse leading a little girl came into the room. Blessed precious, she crooned, holding out her arms. Come to your own mother that loves you. The child, relinquished by the nurse, rushed across the room and rooted shyly into her mother's dress. The blessed precious, did mother get hair on your old yellowy hair? Stand up now and say howdy-do. Gatsby and I turned. Gatsby and I in turn leaned down and took the small reluctant hand. Afterward, he kept looking at the child with surprise. I don't think he had ever really believed in its existence before. I got dressed before luncheon, said the child, turning eagerly to Daisy. That's because your mother wanted to show you off. Her face bent into the single wrinkle of the small white neck. You dream, you. You absolute little dream. Yes, admitted the child calmly. Aunt Jordan's got on a white dress, too. How do you like mother's friends? 
Daisy turned her around so that she faced Gatsby. Do you think they're pretty? Where's Daddy? She doesn't look like her father, explained Daisy. She looks like me. She's got my hair and shape of the face. Daisy sat back upon the couch. The nurse took a step forward and held out her hand. Come, Pammy. Goodbye, sweetheart. With a reluctant backward glance, the well-disciplined child held to her nurse's hand and was pulled out the door just as Tom came back, preceding four gin rickies that clicked full of ice. Gatsby took up his drink. They certainly look cool, he said with visible tension. We drank in long, greedy swallows. I read somewhere that the sun's getting hotter every year, said Tom genially. It seems that pretty soon the earth's going to fall into the sun. Or, wait a minute, it's just the opposite. The sun's getting colder every year. Come outside, he suggested to Gatsby. I'd like you to have a look at the place. I went with them out to the veranda. On the green sound, stagnant in the heat, one small cell crawled slowly toward the fresher sea. Gatsby's eyes followed it momentarily. He raised his hand and pointed across the bay. I'm right across from you. So you are. Our eyes lifted over the rose beds and the hot lawn and the weedy refuse of the dog days along shore. Slowly, the white wings of the boat moved against the blue, cool limit of the sky. Ahead lay the scalloped ocean and the abounded, blessed isles. There's sport for you, said Tom, nodding. I'd like to be out there with him for about half an hour. We had luncheon in the dining room, darkened too against the heat, and drank down nervous gaiety with a cold ale. What shall we do with ourselves this afternoon? cried Daisy. And the day after that? And the next thirty years? Don't be morbid, Jordan said. Life starts all over again when it gets crisp in the fall. But it's so hot, insisted Daisy on the verge of tears, and everything's so confused. Let's all go to town. Her voice struggled on through the heat, beating against it, molding its senselessness into forms. I've heard of making a garage out of a stable, Tom was saying to Gatsby, but I'm the first man who ever made a stable out of a garage. Who wants to go to town? demanded Daisy insistently. Gatsby's eyes floated toward her. Ah, she cried. You look so cool. Their eyes met, and they stared together at each other, alone in space. With an effort, she glanced down at the table. You always look so cool, she repeated. She had told him that she loved him, and Tom Buchanan saw. He was astounded. His mouth opened a little and he looked at Gatsby and then back at Daisy as if he had just recognized her as someone he knew a long time ago. You resemble the advertisement of the man, she went on innocently. You know, the advertisement of the man. All right, broke in Tom quickly. I'm perfectly willing to go to town. Come on, we're all going to town. He got up, his eyes still flashing between Gatsby and his wife. No one moved. Come on, his temper cracked a little. What's the matter anyhow? 
If we're going to town, let's start. His hand, trembling with his effort at self-control, bore to his lips the last of his glass of ale. Daisy's voice got us to our feet and out to the blazing gravel drive. Are we just going to go? She objected. Like this? Aren't we going to let anyone smoke a cigarette first? Everybody smoked all through lunch. Oh, let's have fun, she begged him. It's too hot to fuss. He didn't answer. Have it your own way, she said. Come on, Jordan. They went upstairs to get ready while we three men stood there shuffling the hot pebbles with our feet. The silver curve of the moon hovered already in the western sky. Gatsby started to speak, changed his mind, but not before Tom wheeled and faced him expectantly. Have you got your stables here? asked Gatsby with an effort. About a quarter of a mile down the road. Oh, a pause. I don't see the idea of going to town, broke out Tom savagely. Women get these notions in their heads. Shall we take anything to drink? called Daisy from an upper window. I'll get some whiskey, answered Tom. He went inside. Gatsby turned to me rigidly. I can't say anything in his household sport. She's got an indiscreet voice, I remarked. It's full of... I hesitated. Her voice is full of money, he said suddenly. That was it. I'd never understood before. It was full of money. That was the inexhaustible charm that rose and fell in it, the jingle of it, the symbol song of it, high in a white palace, the king's daughter, the golden girl. Tom came out of the house wrapping a quart bottle in a towel, followed by Daisy and Jordan wearing small, tight hats of metallic cloth and carrying light capes over their arms. Shall we all go in my car? suggested Gatsby. He felt the hot green leather of the seat. I ought to have left it in the shade. Is it standard shift? demanded Tom. Yes. Well, you take my coupe and let me drive your car to town. The suggestion was distasteful to Gatsby. I don't think there's much gas, he objected. Plenty of gas, said Tom boisterously. He looked at the gauge. And if it runs out, I can stop at a drugstore. You can buy anything at a drugstore nowadays. A pause followed this apparently pointless remark. Daisy looked at Tom frowning, and an indefinable expression at once definitely unfamiliar and vaguely recognizable, as if I had only heard it described in words, passed over Gatsby's face. Come on, Daisy, said Tom, pressing her with his hand toward Gatsby's car. I'll take you in this circus wagon. He opened the door, but she moved out from the circle of his arm. You take Nick and Jordan. We'll follow you in the coop. She walked close to Gatsby, touching his coat with her hand. Jordan and Tom and I got into the front seat of Gatsby's car. Tom pushed the unfamiliar gears tentatively, and we shot off into the oppressive heat, leaving them out of sight behind. Did you see that? demanded Tom. See what? He looked at me keenly, realizing that Jordan and I must have known all along. You think I'm pretty dumb, don't you? He suggested. Perhaps I am, but I have a almost a second sight sometimes that tells me what to do. Maybe you don't believe that, but science... He paused. 
The immediate contingency overtook him, pulled him back from the edge of the theoretical abyss. I've made a small investigation of this fella, he continued. I could have gone deeper if I'd known. Do you mean you've been to a medium? inquired Jordan humorously. What? Confused, he stared at us as we laughed. A medium? About Gatsby. About Gatsby? No, I haven't. I said I've been making a small investigation of his past. And you found he was an Oxford man, said Jordan helpfully. An Oxford man? He was incredulous. Like hell he is. He wears a pink suit. Nevertheless, he's an Oxford man. Oxford, New Mexico, snorted Tom contemptuously, or something like that. Listen, Tom, if you're such a snob, why did you invite him to lunch? Demanded Jordan crossly. Daisy invited him. She knew him before we were married. God knows where. We were all irritable now with a fading L, and aware of it, we drove for a while in silence. Then, as Dr. T.J. Eckelberg's faded eyes came into sight down the road, I remembered Gatsby's caution about gasoline. We've got enough to get us to town, said Tom. But there's a garage right here, objected Jordan. I don't want to get stalled in this bacon heat. Tom threw on both brakes impatiently, and we slid to an abrupt, dusty stop under Wilson's sign. After a moment, the proprietor emerged from the interior of his establishment and gazed hollow-eyed at the car. Let's have some gas, cried Tom roughly. What do you think we stopped for, to admire the view? I'm sick, said Wilson without moving. Been sick all day. What's the matter? I'm all run down. Well, shall I help myself? Tom demanded. You sounded well enough on the phone. With an effort, Wilson left the shade and support of the doorway and, breathing hard, unscrewed the cap of the tank. In the sunlight, his face was green. I didn't mean to interrupt your lunch, he said, but I need money pretty bad, and I was wondering what you were going to do with your old car. How do you like this one? inquired Tom. I bought it last week. It's a nice yellow one, said Wilson as he strained at the handle. Like to buy it? Big chance, Wilson smiled faintly. No, but I could make some money on the other. What do you want money for all of a sudden? Been here too long. I want to get away. My wife and I want to go west. Your wife does? exclaimed Tom, startled. She's been talking about it for ten years. He rested for a moment against the pump, shading his eyes. And now she's going whether she wants to or not. I'm going to get her away. The coupe flashed by us with a flurry of dust and the flash of a waving hand. What do I owe you? demanded Tom harshly. I just got wised up to something funny the last two days, remarked Wilson. That's why I want to get away. That's why I've been bothering you about the car. What do I owe you? Dollar twenty. The relentless beating heat was beginning to confuse me, and I had a bad moment there before I realized that so far his suspicions hadn't alighted on Tom. He had discovered that Myrtle had some sort of life apart from him in another world, and the shock had made him physically sick. I stared at him, and then at Tom, who had made a parallel discovery less than an hour before, and it occurred to me 
that there was no difference between men in intelligence or race so profound as the difference between the sick and the well. Wilson was so sick that he looked guilty, unforgivably guilty, as if he had just got some poor girl with child. I'll let you have that car, said Tom. I'll send it over tomorrow afternoon. That locality was always vaguely disquieting, even in the broad glare of afternoon, and now I turned my head as though I had been warned of something behind. Over the ash heaps, the giant eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg kept their vigil, but I perceived after a moment that other eyes were regarding us with peculiar intensity from less than 20 feet away. In one of the windows over the garage, the curtains had been moved aside a little, and Myrtle Wilson was peering down at the car. So engrossed was she that she had no consciousness of being observed, and one emotion after another crept into her face, like objects into a slowly developing picture. Her expression was curiously familiar. It was an expression I had often seen on women's faces. But on Myrtle Wilson's face, it seemed purposeless and inexplicable until I realized that her eyes, wide with jealous terror, were fixed not on Tom, but on Jordan Baker, whom she took to be his wife. There is no confusion like the confusion of a simple mind, and as we drove away, Tom was feeling the hot whips of panic. His wife and his mistress, until an hour ago secure and inviolate, were slipping precipitately from his control. Instinct made him step on the accelerator with the double purpose of overtaking Daisy and leaving Wilson behind, and we sped along toward Astoria at 50 miles an hour, until, among the spidery girders of the elevated, we came in sight of the easygoing blue coop. Those big movies... Around 50th Street or cool, suggested Jordan. I love New York on summer afternoons when everyone's away. There's something very sensuous about it, overripe, as if all sorts of funny fruits were going to fall into your hands. The word sensuous had the effect of further disquieting Tom, but before he could invent a protest, the coupe came to a stop, and Daisy signaled us to draw up alongside. Where are we going? she cried. How about the movies? It's so hot, she complained. You go, we'll ride around and meet you after. With an effort, her wit rose faintly. We'll meet you on some corner. I'll be the man smoking two cigarettes. We can't argue about it here, Tom said impatiently, as a truck gave out a cursing whistle behind us. You follow me to the south side of Central Park, in front of the plaza. Several times he turned his head and looked back for their car, and if the traffic delayed them, he slowed up until they came into sight. I think he was afraid they would dart down a side street and out of his life forever, but they didn't, and we all took the less less explicable step of engaging the parlor of a suite in the Plaza Hotel. Some notes on the first part, Chapter 7, The Great Gatsby. So once again, all of this is from Nick's perspective. We find out that Gatsby has fired all of his servants 
that he has replaced them with some a family, allegedly brothers and sisters who used to run a hotel um, because he does not want people going into um, the village and gossiping because Daisy is coming over quite frequently in the afternoons. Um, a couple of things. The first paragraph, Nick says, um, it was when curiosity about Gatsby was at its highest that the lights in his house failed to go on one Saturday night. And as obscurely as it had begun, his career as Tremacchio was over. Tremacchio is um, an allusion to a character written by a Roman um, Petronius. And so probably what, during the reign of Nero. So this was like, forever ago. So we have an allusion to that who, um, if you want to look that reference up, T R I M A L C H I O. And then that will give you some more information about the relevance of that illusion. Then, um, we have Nick checks in on Gatsby. Um, the servant is quite rude to Nick, which makes Nick think, okay, this probably isn't really a servant, but some other kind of person. Um, Gatsby calls Nick and says, Daisy wants you to come to lunch with us tomorrow. Miss Baker is going to be there. Then later Daisy calls Nick and also asks the same thing. We have at the bottom of page 121, the next day was brawling, almost the last, certainly the warmest of the summer. So we have um, this description of the heat. It's just oppressive. Everyone is so hot. And so think about this, like in the summertime, if the air conditioner goes out or if it's just so incredibly hot, how that weather makes you just kind of feel grumpy. And so Nick goes through this big, huge, long explanation as they're riding in the train. And then gets over to the Buchanan's house. Um, they have, let's see, they're having drinks. We meet Daisy's child, Pammy. Um, Gatsby is like, you know, kind of shocked, you know, at Pammy. Um, Daisy does this interesting thing where she's like, you know, she doesn't look anything like her father. She looks just like me. Um, Tom goes out of the room to make drinks. Daisy goes over and kisses Gatsby while her husband is in the other room. Um, then makes this comment. You know, she's like, I love you. And then Jordan makes this, you know, kind of like sarcastic comment. You forget there's a lady present. And then Daisy's like, you know, you kiss Nick too. And then Jordan says, what a low vulgar girl. Okay. Daisy then at this point says, I don't care, cried Daisy, and begins to clog on the brick fireplace. So she's doing like this little dance. Then she remembered the heat and sat down guiltily on the couch just as, um, okay, so then the, the babysitter comes in, the nurse comes in. So Daisy is starting to come unhinged here. It's incredibly hot. Her lover is there for lunch. Her husband is there. And she's kind of starting to freak out. Um, then we have this where Tom and Gatsby are making small chat, you know, like, chit chat um and the part where after lunch daisy's like you know let's like she does this whole like thing like where she's kind of like 
coming unhinged. She's like, you know, what do we do with ourselves this afternoon, cried Daisy, and the day after that, and the next 30 years. So she's having this momentary crisis. Um, And then this part on page 126, she looks at Gatsby. He looks at her. And then it says their eyes, or uh, who wants to go to town, demanded Daisy insistently. Gatsby's eyes floated toward her. Ah, she cried, you look so cool. Their eyes met, and they stared together at each other, alone in space. With an effort, she glanced down at the table. You always look so cool, she repeated. She had told him that she loved him, and Tom Buchanan saw. So she doesn't say, oh my gosh, Gatsby, I love you so much. But the way that she is looking and the way that he is looking at her, the husband is there like, you know, great. What's happening here? Something is going on between these two. And then she tries to like recover. And she's like, you know, you resemble the advertisement of the man. Um, and then they decide to go to town. Um, and then out in the driveway, Gatsby tells Nick, I can't say anything in his household sport, you know, cause he's like, that would be rude and inappropriate. I can't say that I'm in love with your wife here. Um, and then Tom goes in to get whiskey that he comes back out. So they have two cars and they have Gatsby's big, huge yellow car. And then they have um, Tom Buchanan's coupe is out there. And so Tom's like, well, I'll drive everyone up in the circus wagon and you take my car. And then Daisy tactfully, artfully, somehow or another manages to get herself and Gatsby in her husband's car, and her husband is driving Gatsby's car with Jordan and Nick. And then Gatsby makes this comment, well, you know, it's almost out of gas. Um, But then Tom makes this really kind of pointed thing like, you know, oh, don't worry, there's plenty of gas, and if we run out, we can stop at a drugstore. I hear you can buy anything, you know, nowadays at a drugstore. So he is suggesting that he knows something about Gatsby's business dealings. And then um, they start off. Um, Jordan and Nick kind of have fun at Tom's expense. Tom's like, you know, um, at the bottom of 129. Um, you know, he's like, you think I'm pretty dumb, don't you? I feel like I have this second sight. Uh, sometimes that tells me what to do. Maybe you don't believe, but science. And then um, Jordan's like, do you mean you've seen a medium like a fortune teller and um, inquired Jordan humorously? So Jordan is providing this kind of comic relief throughout this time with these little one-liners that she has. Um, what confused he stared at us as we laughed. And then, you know, he keeps on and he's like, you know, I've made an investigation of Gatsby. Um, he's making fun of Gatsby. He's like, you know, he wears a pink suit for God's sake. Um, then they get to the Valley of Ashes. Remember that they need to get gasoline. There's that big billboard advertising. It says, then as Dr. TJ Eckelberg's faded eyes came, came into sight down the road. So that's the big billboard there in the Valley of Ashes. Um, they stopped to get gas. And then something is not right with Mr. Wilson. And so Mr. Wilson is all beat down. He then says that he needs the money because he's taking his wife out west. Um, 
He's going to take her now, whether she wants to go or not. And then, so Tom realizes that first of all, his wife is having an affair. And second of all, that his mistress is going to be leaving town. Um, then we find out that, okay. And this is something very important too. Wilson or George rather says this. He says, um, do you want to buy this car? I just bought it. So he lies to Wilson. He's just messing with him. Um, he's driving Gatsby's car. Remember Wilson says, no, I won't be able to, you know, afford that one or make money on that one, but I could the other one. And then Tom, I guess feels bad for him. And Tom's like, okay, you know, all right, I'll send that car over to you tomorrow. Um, meanwhile, Nick realizes that like someone else is spying on them. And so he looks up at the window and he sees Myrtle Wilson upstairs looking down at them. And so he realizes that she makes the wrong assumption that Jordan is actually Daisy. So remember then that Myrtle sees Tom Buchanan driving the big yellow car. This is going to be important later. Um, the next part, then, so they make it into New York City. Jordan's like, why don't we go to the movies? Daisy says, oh, it's too hot. And somehow or another, they decide to go to the Plaza Hotel. Very nice, very expensive hotel. And they're going to rent rooms and they're going to drink and hang out at the Plaza Hotel. So that is where we left off at. <laughs> 